This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hello, and welcome to Saver Production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about breakfast cereals. Oh, I love breakfast cereals. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Uh, This emotional reaction is exactly what this episode is all about, and I love it so hard. Um, Because I don't—I mean, like, I I think they're fine, but but you have, like, this look on your face that even thinking about these products is just a a state of bliss. Yes, yes. And I think also in this is I I live by myself, and so— Having milk around, I don't really drink milk, so I just don't have it around, which means I don't really have cereal anymore. And at our office, I frequently think about how there's a lot of cereal there, but we're not going there anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes I consider, like, is it worth trekking out there (laughs) to, to take some cereal for my own? Is it still good? Oh, Oh, wow. Yes, well, yes. Okay, if I do make it over there and I do a <gasps> delivery for you, oh. I will totally bring you some cereal. Okay. If, if, if such still exists. I know that we've, yes. uh, I, I know that our team has made some donations to food banks of stuff that was in our pantries, so. Yes. Well, I'm assuming and I'm happy to hope that the unopened boxes went to that. But I don't <laughs> say no to, to open boxes. <laughs> I don't have qualms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I've said before on the show, when I was a college student, uh, my dinner was usually a buffet of just cereals. Oof. Oh, um, my gosh. Yeah, and occasionally fries for the ketchup. <laughs> healthy, healthy, healthy. Um, and when I was a kid, we didn't really have it for breakfast. It was a dessert item. Um, okay. Yeah, which I loved. And my favorites, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. That's my absolute favorite. All right. Um, but also a big fan of Cap'n Crunch. Cap'n. Uh, honey Bunches of Oats with the Almonds. All right. Lucky Charms, Honey Nut Cheerios, and Apple Jacks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and in my house, we had to fight over who got to choose the cereal. And I oh. remember my brothers both loved Corn Pops. And I just thought that was the weirdest thing. Like, they're fine, but you're telling me you're going to choose Corn Pops over Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Get out of my house! <laughs> <laughs> anyway. 
I I present no argument. This is clearly something you feel strongly about, and I yes. encourage you to do so. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Oddly enough, we did used to get Reese's Puffs towards the end, and I refused to eat them because I thought huh. they were too sweet. But I love Reese's, and I love cereal. But I don't know. Hmm. Too much was going on there, I guess. Okay. I did have a cookie crisp board game, <laughs> which was very fun. It had a motorized, like, long, because the cookie crisp mascot is like that chef. And he had these long arms that would spin around, and you had to try to get the cookie crisp without getting hit by the arms. Oh. Yeah. That sounds mm-hmm. frightening, but it was, all right. It was pretty intense, yeah. Um, and a friend of mine always got the knockoff brands and the knockoff brands, like no shade to them at all. Cause I've done a taste test where I couldn't really tell the difference between them. Okay. Um, but shit, the names of them made me laugh. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're quite funny. I wish I could remember there's like honey smacks, but they're the name for honey smacks. It's the knockoff brand used to make me laugh a lot. Um, and also the donut, you remember the donut, Lauren? The, the donut? Yes. So when we got the idea for the show, originally we were in Austin, Texas. And one oh, night. Oh, right. The donuts. Yes. <laughs> yes. One night we went super late to Voodoo Donuts. And my biggest, I was like the biggest whiner that we have to get the Cap'n Crunch donut. I was mm-hmm. adamant. And we got a bunch of them, but that was the one that I was super excited about. And we bring them back to the house, and there are about five of us there, including. Caroline of Unladylike the Podcast and past host of Stuff I Never Told You. And I remember going excitedly to open the donut box, realizing the Cap'n Crunch donut was missing, looking up, and there was Caroline. And you know what? She was eating it, and the biggest, the biggest thing about it was she said it wasn't even, she didn't make an impression on her. She didn't even care. But anyway, I was so upset. And then you, Lauren, one night, you, like, magically, because I was, it was kind of a drunken evening, and you presented me with one of these donuts, and it was the best thing. Oh, yeah, we were in Atlanta. We weren't anywhere near uh, no. a Voodoo Donuts branch, so it must have seemed very uh, fae-like oh. and magical, yeah. But and it was, like, months later, maybe <laughs> yeah. longer than that, and yeah, I like, just— <laughs> I think, like, a full year, yeah. Uh, my, my friend uh, Bridget, who travels frequently for, for work, had gone to, to Austin and had discovered that um, if you arrive at a branch of Voodoo Donuts, or, or at, at the time, I'm not sure what is going on due to COVID right now, but, um, but at the time, if you arrived near shift change, they were trying to cycle all of their stock— and so, so she came home to Atlanta with these like five gallon buckets filled with voodoo donuts, <laughs> which is just what they'll give you they'll, they'll, for, for wow. like not a lot of dollars. Like they're just like, yeah, just give us like 10 bucks and take this bucket. Just take as many donuts as you can off of our hands. And so she did. Um, <laughs> And I, and I specifically went and picked some up because I was like, I need to get this kind yes. of French donut for Annie. <laughs> it's very important. And it was, I remember like just feeling so, oh, this cannot be. And indeed it was delicious. So thank you, Lauren. Oh. I still remember it. <laughs> You're very welcome. I'm glad to make at least one or two of your donut dreams come true. Yes. A, a wrong was righted that day. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, um, yeah. Uh, oh, when, when I was a kid, my my dad wouldn't let me have like like junk cereals, uh, like anything with that much sweetener or like like fruit flavoring or uh, chocolate flavoring. But the two that he did allow were like frosted mini wheats and honey nut Cheerios, and I'm pretty sure that those aren't less egregious. Like if you read the labels, so. Who yeah. knows? I don't know. <laughs> Str- strangely enough, perhaps the um the cereal that I have the most nostalgia for is just a bowl of plain rice krispies with a sliced banana. Cause oh. that's the thing that I would get at my uh frequently aforementioned uh grandparents' house when I would go and visit during the summer when I was a kid. That's a pretty healthy take on that cereal. I know I've mentioned it before, but one of my favorite things about rice krispie treats is that in theory, it has less sugar, but, like, everyone I know would just get, like, a not not a spoonful, but, like, 
one of those whole fourth cups of sugar oh, and put it in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, we found like, a way. Yeah, we <laughs> sugar does um, find a way. It's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and I and uh, another thing that I always associate with cereal now is so um, in a in a in a previous uh, employment life, um, I, I was an editor um, of fiction and a copy editor for medical journals, stuff like that. And my, my dear friend, Adam P. Nave, wrote this novel about, about three cartoon serial mascots, like road tripping through the multiverse to find their lost friend and themselves. <laughs> and <laughs> I think it's like the second thing I ever edited for money. Um, so it holds a very dear place in my heart, aside from just enjoying it. Uh, the, the characters were, were Wereberry, the strawberry werewolf, mm-hmm. Choco Ra, the chocolate mummy, and the creature from the Fruit Lagoon. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's excellent. It's, the book is called Stays Crunchy in Milk. And uh, <laughs> uh, please don't at me about all of the uh, superfluous uh, commas that I edited in there, should you happen to read it. But, uh, but, but do, do look up um, Adam P. Naves, K-N-A-V-E, uh, his comics and, and novels, if you're looking for something to read. His recent stuff is real aces, uh, extra aces. Um, I, I am biased because I still do editing for his novels, so I, I feel very, very close to him. I mean, that sounds like something up our listeners' alley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not all so. of them are about food. <laughs> well, it's a good entry point, at least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I am certainly curious about many of the mascots in the cereal world. Oh. Similarly to uh, Kool-Aid Man, I got some questions. Oh, my heck. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, here in the United States, uh, National Cereal Day is March 7th. Huh. <laughs> All right. Yep. Good a time as any. Yeah, sure. And uh, recommended extra listening if you haven't listened to it or want to re-listen. See our Graham Cracker episode, one where I got, I wouldn't say unreasonably angry, but I was pretty mad. You were surly. Yeah. Surly <laughs> for sure. <laughs> surly for sure. Love it. <laughs> surely, surly. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's get to our question. Yes. Breakfast cereals. What are they? Well, uh, breakfast cereals are a category of foods made from the edible seeds of cultivated grasses, uh, processed to varying extents and packaged for relative ease of incorporation into a morning meal. Um, But let's... Let's perhaps unpack that sentence a little bit. Uh, So, okay. uh, uh, Cereal is a catch-all word for, for grains like wheat, oats, barley, rice, and corn. Um, these, these are the starchy seeds of plants in the, in the wide and weird grass family, and they are pretty useful to humans overall. Um, cereal grains don't generally require a whole lot of processing to be used, part of why they're so cool, um, but they are often processed, and in this case, um, meaning husked, uh, milled or ground, and cooked in order to create desired flavors and textures in the final product or to cut down on the consumer's preparation time of the actual meal that they're making. And how fine they are milled or ground and how they're cooked makes a really huge difference. Like, take uh, take oats and corn, for example. Um, you can cook these just enough to dry them out, grind them up fairly rough, and then just sell that as oatmeal or grits. Um, and, you know, the consumer may have to cook them further, often into like a hot porridge-type breakfast cereal, um, or, or at least rehydrate them, as in the case of uh, muesli. As a manufacturer, you can also par-cook or chemically process the oatmeal or the grits to shorten the consumer's cooking time. Or you can cook them completely, as with a granola, and then mix them with flavorings and additions for a complete, ready-to-eat product. But, you know, so, so that's, that's a minimalist kind of, kind of approach. But one of the super fun things about cereal grains is that those starches that they contain can and will form up into really interesting structures if you treat them right. Exactly how you treat them will depend on what kind of cereal you're making, uh, flaked, shredded, puffed, or extruded 
Um, but but basically, uh, what you're what you're looking to do is um, remove the fibrous outer hull or, or bran of the seed, and then cook up that the starchy inner part along with water and any flavorings, sweeteners, colors, and enrichments that you want in the final product, um, do all of that in a pressure cooker, giving you a sort of dough that you can then um, roll out into flakes or kind of comb into long ribbons or shreds or bake up into puffs. You can also push that dough through a number of different heated, high-pressure devices um, so that when it like comes out of the opposite end of this heated high-pressure tube, that the steam that will be in the dough and the sudden release of pressure from being outside of the tube will make it puff up. Um, and you can use this, this process to create shapes, too, by forcing the dough through shaped tubes, yeah? Uh, sometimes, like, a blade at the end will cut pieces off as they emerge. And that's the basic process for both um, gun-puffed and extruded cereals. And it is fascinating and a little bit startling because the pieces tend to, like, shoot out and have to be caught <laughs> by nets. We talked about this in our Cheetos episode. Oh, yeah. And that's cool to watch. Oh, gosh. That. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, uh, we, we could, we, I, I could go further into, into detail, and I suspect we will in the future for very specific serial treatments, but that's, that's the overview. Yeah. Um, and I will say that advancements in technology, um, including ways that the dough moves through those uh, pressurized tubes and um, the use of computers that can control the temperature and pressure, have reduced production time for some of these cereals from as much as 24 hours to as little as 20 minutes. Wow. Love it. Science. Mm -hmm. Science. And like Cheetos, uh, you can also add sweet or otherwise flavored coatings after you've created your shapes. Indeed. Well, (laughs) speaking of, what about the nutrition? Oh, gosh. Okay. Mm. Um, Well, all right, all right. Because they are seeds, uh, whole cereal grains are this really cool packet of a, of a strong fiber encasing proteins that would code for creating a plant and uh, these good fats to help protect it and help it grow and starches to feed that growing plant. Whole grains are pretty good for you. But uh, the processing of grains into cereals often removes a lot of the things that aren't just starch um, and adds a lot of salt and sugar. Many ready-to-eat breakfast cereals on the market are enriched, meaning that they have vitamins and minerals added to uh, to make them more nutritious and make up for some of those nutrients lost during processing. But these these breakfast cereals have come under a lot of scrutiny over the years for exactly how much sugar and salt they contain. And part of the problem here is that sugar isn't just a flavoring, right? Like, it's also a texturing agent and a preservative, which is more important um, to some formulations than to others. Like um, like corn-based products and flaky products are um, particularly dependent upon sugar. And when you have sugar, it helps the flavor if you balance it with salt. So it can be like an arms race of stuff that isn't good for you being added into these things. Um, and the loser is your nutrition every time. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> And of course, like different cereals sold in different markets to different demographics will contain more or less sugar and salt. And in general, they're the worst in the United States because why not? Of course. Of course. (laughs) Other places are catching up, though. Huzzah. Read your dang labels, people. (laughs) That's that's what I'm saying. If you want to know what's in a thing, read the label. It'll tell you. I guess I also recommend going back to our sugar episode because— yeah, you get you get a good primer in that for. I feel I feel like most of us know now, but for a long time I wasn't really sure how much sugar was an obscene amount. Now I feel pretty confident. <laughs> um, also, because people have called me out for it, I haven't made a Seinfeld reference in a minute. Oh, um, there is an episode of Seinfeld where Kramer uh, is stopped up, has constipation, and okay. uh, desperately <laughs> tries to eat brand cereal. Right. Um, and it doesn't work. And he says, uh, the brand isn't working for me, Terry. <laughs> I think about that line a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty decent Kramer. That was, a, it, it, it depends on the, the uh, what's that, the cadence? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also did a, a gesture that you did. I feel encompassed a lot of what he is. Um, 
<laughs> I'm working on it. It's on my list of impressions. But all right, what about some numbers? So breakfast cereal is a big business. As of 2016, the global breakfast cereal market value, including both hot and cold cereals and related bars and biscuits, um, was some $37 billion. Whew. 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 Hand uh, of that, uh, cold, ready-to-eat cereals, along with uh, related bars and biscuits, accounted for about 68% of that market. You know, I used to eat those, like, every every day at marching band, band camp, and then every practice at band camp. So I have a really bad association with them. It's not that I think they taste oh. bad, but you know when you have, like, that memory of— yeah. Mm-hmm. And so just thinking about them makes me like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, thank no, you. No, no, no. no. Ba- mm. Back in the heat, feeling like I'm going to pass out all oh. this drama. I don't need that. I don't need that. <laughs> oh, you don't, Annie. <laughs> it's, it's in the past. You're safe now. <laughs> thank you. Safe from marching band memories. <laughs> yes, well, not the memories. I can't help oh. you with the memories. But you're safe from marching band. They do lurk around every corner. You're right. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, so so cold, cold ready-to-eat breakfast cereal is a fairly American phenomenon, but it has also been picked up intensely in the British Isles um, as of 2010. And I couldn't find more recent numbers, or I don't know, like there's some conflicting numbers out there as there are in any kind of market research category. But yeah, um, as of 2010, Ireland ate the most cereal in the world per capita, um, like dry cold breakfast cereal, um, an average of 8.4 kilos per person Ooh. per year. Um, that's about 18 and a half pounds. Dang. At the time, other European countries, though, were averaging like a kilo per person per year or less. So North America still dominated the market as a whole. Ooh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and that, that has been changing. Um, Westernization and urbanization have been increasing the number and the varieties of cereals sold around the world over the past couple decades. Um, China and Russia are also now very big markets, like top five, and Asia Pacific is the fastest growing market area. Hmm. And globally, it is a growing market. In the U.S., it's been uh, dropping a little bit every year, but globally, um, it's, it's increasing about 4% per year. I guess another episode you could re-listen to is breakfast. Because I was reading about how breakfast is the one meal that's kind of consistently been going down in the U.S. of people who eat it. And so there's just all of this marketing focus. And and cereal, I would argue, is just very marketing focused. Oh, sure. It is. And, And I remember reading a quote. I can't remember from where, but it's like, if you own, if, if, because breakfast is kind of ritualistic, if somebody chooses your product, then you own their breakfast. Um, so, <laughs> right. yeah, there's just this fight for it. And they and they were saying, like, um, fast food restaurants have been putting more and more money into breakfast items because that's where the growth is. And, huh. yeah, it's a cutthroat world in the world of breakfast. <laughs> um, one of the tops is Cheerios, I suppose. In 2015, the Cheerios brand made about $1 billion in sales. Ooh, that's a uh, billion with a B, folks. Yep. Billion with a B. They're the best-selling cereal in America, and that includes all of their, you know, Cheerios, Honey Nut Cheerios. But Okay. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and in general, breakfast cereals are a high-profit item. Um, they rake in a gross margin of like 40 to 45%. And a profit margin of seventeen percent, which is which is comfy. That's real comfy, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, note that that is after factoring in the costs of marketing cereals, which account for twenty to twenty five percent of the total sales value of the product. Ooh, that's a fifth to a quarter of the money that it takes to make cereal, going to convincing you to buy it. Yeah, I mean. I know a lot of us don't watch commercials anymore, but anytime I turn on like Nickelodeon, you're going to see a cereal commercial. Yeah. In, yeah. in like every break, I would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, and the story of how we got to here uh, is fascinating because like, like you may have noticed that a lot of that marketing, well, a lot of the marketing is like funny cartoon characters like delivering one-liners and the rest of it is convincing you how just absolutely stoically healthy these yeah. products are. 
mm-hmm. um, even if they're flavored with like chocolate or marshmallows or whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and that duality goes back to the very beginning of the cereal story. It does. It does. And we will get into that history. But first, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this, I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, um, of course, people have been cooking cereal grains in various ways and eating them for breakfast for pretty much ever. Right. Uh, and the story of modern breakfast cereal, yes, is really a case of advertising and particularly health advertising and changing attitudes around food, health, and breakfast in particular, and perhaps in America in particular. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... In brief, to kind of sum up from our graham cracker episode, and if you're very confused about why we're mentioning graham crackers, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, so, uh, so there was this whole like health and morality movement that kicked off in the early to mid 1800s in the United States, in particular, um, that includes but is not limited to the temperance movement, which, um, which yeah, here in the U.S. is what um, led to prohibition. There. You know, there were just a whole bunch of changes going on in society at the time, um, what with industrialization and urbanization and the changes that those things wrought in how we eat and drink and medicate. Um, drinking alcohol, and especially distilled alcohol, was on the rise, both for, for, for leisure and for medicine. People were spending more time indoors and in polluted environments, and there was a pushback. Yes. And one of the people who pushed back here in the United States was um, one Sylvester Graham. Duh. <laughs> that guy. That guy. <laughs> he was this, this minister who um, preached virtue and good health via abstaining from alcohol and tobacco and meat and white bread and via taking in exercise and fresh air and a vegetarian diet. Yes. I mean, he wasn't wrong about those things, but he was no. a jerk about it, okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Because he just, he hated, well, I, I think like like women as part of it, but but he, he mm-hmm. really, but more than women, he hated bread. Um, he hated everything that commercialized, manufactured bread stood for. You know, like, like contemporary manufacturing processes made it easy to, to separate the components of whole wheat grains and therefore made it easy to make fluffy, delightful white bread. 
And so he didn't like that you were removing the good parts of the grains, and he furthermore thought that the only good bread was made by wives and mothers with love and care, which would then lead to a happy digestive system. Um, <laughs> he wrote in, in this 1937 thing that he published called um, uh, Treatise on Bread and Bread Making. He wrote, Thousands in civic life will, for years, and perhaps as long as they live, eat the most miserable trash that can be imagined in the form of bread. Whew. Wow. Strong words. I, <laughs> I've, I have strong feelings about bread, and I've never felt that strongly about bread. No, I don't think so either. Huh. Hmm. But his alternative to this miserable trash that was bread— was products made of, of what came to be known as graham flour, which is coarse ground whole wheat flour, more, more like a meal than a flour, really. Um, and it lends itself, therefore, to, to crackers more than to bread. And his original graham crackers contained no fat and no sugar. Pretty different from what we're dealing with today. Yep, he'd be rolling in his grave if he knew <laughs> and, what happened. And good on him. <laughs> <laughs> I remember in that episode... Uh, I came out so vehemently against this, and I think you less so, but, you know. Um, and we had such a, a kind listener. I can't remember your name, but if you're still listening, oh. I still remember this. You, this sent us a shipment of yeah. Bob's, Bob's Mill of yeah, Graham yeah, Bob, Bob's Red Mill. Um, yes. A whole bunch of their products so that we could make our own graham crackers and kind of, like, come back to it from, yes. like, a better place. Yeah. Uh, I... That it made me laugh, and I appreciated it both. So yes, thank yes. you if you're still listening. Oh, uh, that stuff was so good. Oh my gosh. Anyway, mm-hmm. okay. Yes. All right. So, moving on to a fellow named James Caleb Jackson, he invented a product he called granula with a U at a sanitarium he ran in New York in 1863, or perhaps his mother invented it. I feel like that's the case throughout most of these stories. Is perhaps someone else in the family <laughs> invented it, but yeah. 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 Jackson was a very conservative, very religious vegetarian who he created this granula out of dried graham flour that he then broke into shapes. Um, or again, perhaps his mother did. It was so tough it had to be soaked in milk overnight before it could be eaten. And something that's something that stuck around even when the toughness is no longer there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this was during industrialization when labor was undergoing a really massive upheaval and life was becoming more fast-paced and cereal offered a more convenient, quicker breakfast option. And it was heavily touted that it was easier to digest. And and breakfast Mm -hmm. was like, prior to this, from what I read, this huge meat-heavy meal. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Um, Because there was also simultaneously this rise of, yeah, this focus on wellness and, and cereal really revolutionized how we saw breakfast here in the United States. Weird. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, but it's about to get weirder. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> over at his Battle Creek, Michigan spa, the Battle Creek Sanitarium, surgeon John Harvey Kellogg, yep, that one, uh, made his own version of granula. Uh, originally, he called it granola, um, but the, he had to change the name to granola, allegedly after a lawsuit forced him to change the name. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and I wanted to put in here, uh, sanitarium is a word that we've we've come to associate with like a like a mental health hospital, um, mm-hmm. I think, modernly. But um, but at the time, sanitariums focused on both physical and mental health. They, they were more like retreats than yeah. hospitals, really. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you do see the word spa used frequently. I think they're more uh, medicinally focused, perhaps, than how we see spas today. Yes. Uh, Neither the word sanitarium nor spa are being used in the way that we think of now. Yes, exactly. But think of it somewhere in between. (laughs) That's probably (laughs) what you've got. Yes. Oh, the yogurt episode is another one you could check out. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. So many threads here. Oof. All right, so Kellogg was raised as a Seventh-day Adventist, and he incorporated Adventist beliefs around health into his sanitarium, things like vegetarianism, avoidance of tobacco and alcohol, and a focus on exercise. On top of that, he was really, really, really focused on digestive health. He was a proponent of regular enemas and staying away from fatty, spicy, salty, and greasy foods. 
and he thought granola would promote digestive wellness. After his first attempt at this, a biscuit uh, led to a patient breaking a tooth. He twice baked a mixture of cornmeal, oats, and flour, and then broke them up into smaller pieces. And this was around 1877. Oh, yeah, and he thought granola might prevent people from wanting sex or masturbating, which he believed were bad. Yeah, uh, yeah, Kellogg bought in on a lot of what Graham and his contemporaries uh, were thinking about all of that sex and masturbation thing. Um, they they thought it was bad, like mm-hmm. real, like, like not good for your health at all. Um, and he thought specifically the latter would lead to, um, as scholar Vern L. Uh, Bullock, or Bullo, uh, writes, and get ready to, uh, to to mark list off of your bingo cards, <laughs> saver <laughs> listeners, because mm-hmm. here we go. Whew. General disability, consumption-like symptoms, premature and defective development, sudden changes in disposition, lassitude, sleeplessness, failure of mental capacity, fickleness, untrustworthiness, love of solitude, bashfulness, unnatural boldness, mock piety, easily being frightened, confusion of ideas, aversion to girls and boys, but a dedicated liking of boys and girls. (sighs) Round shoulders, weak back and stiffness of joints, paralysis of the lower extremities, unnatural gait, bad posture in bed, lack of breast development in females, capricious appetite, fondness for unnatural or hurtful irritation articles such as salt, pepper, spices, vinegar, mustard, clay, slate, pencils, plaster, and chalk, disgust at simple food, use of tobacco, unnatural paleness, acne or pimples, biting of fingernails, shifty eyes, moist, cold hands, palpitation of the heart, hysteria in females, chlorosis or green sickness, anemia, epileptic fits, bedwetting, and use of obscene words and phrases. Oh, dear. Wow. Yeah. You know, there's some real interesting things on here, but the one that really stood out to me for some reason is disgust at simple foods. Because <laughs> it's kind of the product he's trying to, to convince people they need. Not, he was not really huh. selling about it. He wasn't really about selling it, but it's just funny yeah. to me. He's like, that's why you don't like this thing that I made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, and so he thought that, you know, eating granola would prevent your sexual desires and therefore prevent all of these ailments. Yes. Um, according to some things I read, he also recommended tying children's hands behind their backs. Um, cool. So that's a, it's cool, a different cool, cool. podcast, but he yep. has a very storied, in many ways, upsetting history. Mm-hmm. If you want to mm-hmm. look that up. But when it comes to this, he was a believer in the. He was a true believer. Uh, and he wanted reform of how we ate in this country and how we viewed health. Uh, and he that went as far as him handing out recipes for his granola. He did try to, I believe he tried to patent it, mm-hmm. but he, he never succeeded. But he, he, he wanted to protect it, but also was willing to share it. However, uh, <laughs> C.W. Post, one of Kellogg's patients, also riffed on this idea and came up with grape nuts, which went on to become the first popular product to run a discount coupon campaign. Uh, Yeah, but Kellogg really didn't like this and later accused him of stealing the recipe from his safe. But again, from what I read, he was handing them out. So Uh, I think he just didn't like he was like profiting off of it. Yeah, yeah, because Post set up this rival retreat in Battle Creek called La Vida Inn. Mm -hmm. Well... Kellogg wasn't done in the cereal world. He and his brother, Will Keith Kellogg, or W.K. Kellogg, innovated a flaked cereal. Or that's one version many members of the Kellogg family and employees at his sanitarium also lay claim to inventing the cereal. Mm -hmm. The official story, according to the company's website, puts the date at 1898 when some wheat-based cereal dough was accidentally left out for a decent amount of time unspecified, um, Mm -hmm. and it fermented. The dough was then rolled out into thin flakes that crisped up when baked. The recipe was refined over the years. The dough swapped out for corn dough. Um, Dr. Kellogg called the flakes um, for eating at a sanitarium, granos flakes, with the tagline, enrich the blood. (laughs) There was... There was this big focus on blood around that time. Other other taglines for various products included keeps the blood cool 
and makes red blood redder. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. Not sure. Not sure about it. It sounds no. like you're marketing to vampires, not to... <laughs> it does indeed. Can you imagine you're watching a children's cereal commercial and it's like, <laughs> keeps their blood cool. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> All right, but okay. Tired of the treatment um, he received at the hands of his brother, Will pivoted toward the commercial sector with cornflakes after purchasing the recipe and founding the Battle Creek Toasted Cornflake Company in 1906. And part of this shift to corn was simply because it was cheaper than wheat at the time, um, as it was largely still considered a food for animals, not people. And Will got the idea to add sugar. Uh, offered the first prize in the box, and started mass marketing. And it worked. By 1909, the company was producing 120,000 cases a day. There were 100 cereal companies in Battle Creek alone by 1903. I love this. Just in this one area. Yeah. (laughs) I see you. I'm going to do it too, but I'll do it better. And just all multiply. Perhaps not surprisingly, Dr. Kellogg really (laughs) didn't approve of this. He objected to the addition of sugar, which he viewed as a vice, uh, and he took his brother to court over the use of the family name. However, the court ruled in Will's favor in 1920, and Will renamed the company the Kellogg Company in 1925. Around the same time, Post debuted their product, Elijah's Manna, but... After some protests by religious groups, they renamed it to Post Toasties. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's um, quite a turn, and I love it. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, and Grape Nuts, uh, when they came out in 1897, they came with the promise of curing all kinds of things, including malaria and alcoholism. Yeah. Uh, a Post once said, um, the sunshine that makes a business plant grow is advertising. Wow. Um, and the company went all in on that. Um, one advertising tract that they printed was titled The Road to Wellville. Um, by 1903, dude was making a million bucks a year. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's funny, too, because to this day, I have an association that grape nuts are the, like, healthier Yeah, me uh, too. Cereals. Don't know if that's any truth to it, but I have the association. I They are low in sugar, and from what I recall from being a child, they taste like dirt. So, <laughs> <laughs> so take that, grape nuts. <laughs> Post also purchased the exclusive rights to the production of the cereal rolling machine needed for the process being used at the time, a product that Will Kellogg originally had a hand in designing. This, mm. again, cutthroat world here, cereal. <laughs> Um, jumping to a different continent for a second, in the early 1900s, Swiss Dr. Maximilian Bercher Benner came up with a mixture of uncooked oats, dried fruits, and nuts originally served with orange juice, but later milk, called muesli. He got the inspiration for this from a dish he had while traveling, so it existed in some form before this, um, and probably could be its own episode. Uh, mm-hmm. Muesli was documented in the UK by 1926, and its popularity really took off in the 1960s. Before that, it was sort of seen as this fringe alternative health food. Um, and I have to say, I had uh, muesli a lot when I was in Australia, and I loved it. Oh, sure. Big yeah, thing. I it's great. Mm-hmm. By the 1910s, Quaker Oats Company introduced puffed rice and puffed wheat after they acquired a technique that caused grains of rice to explode under pressure. They marketed it as this amazing scientific innovation, touting it as uh, the first, quote, food shot from guns and, quote, (laughs) the eighth wonder of the world. (laughs) Mm. Uh, Americans and their guns, (laughs) y'all. Even cereal. Even Mm -hmm. cereal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In the 1920s, uh, some of the very earliest radio programs aired sponsorships from Kellogg's. Also in the 1920s, an accident led to the creation of Wheaties, 
when a health clinician knocked over some wheat bran onto a hot stove. Uh, By the 1930s, their slogan, Breakfast of Champions, was being used in marketing materials first on a billboard for a minor league baseball team in Minnesota. Hmm. Rice Krispies entered the scene soon after that. Yeah, and in 1931, um, Snap, Crackle, and Pop uh, were designed by this um, this cartoonist by the name of Vernon Grant, or, or artist uh, Vernon Grant. And they would go on to become the first cartoon marketing characters for cereal for Rice Krispies. Um, and supposedly, Grant's work largely influenced none other than Walt Disney. Wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I still remember those characters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're still around. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Also in the 1930s, Kellogg's opened its first British manufacturing plant in Manchester um, to create the uh, then already popular in the area cornflakes and other products. Perhaps the first iteration of wheat checks called Shredded Ralston was invented by Ralston Purina Company in the 1930s. And this product was intended for followers of Roustonism, which was a social movement entrenched with racism that also believed in mind control. Uh, It it wasn't until the 1950s and a rice version that the name Chex showed up. Hmm. Uh, In the 1940s, Cheerios made their way to shelves, but they were soon renamed Cheerios. Grape Nuts introduced the Eat a Good Breakfast, Do a Better Job campaign in 1944. As a part of this, shoppers received pamphlets espousing the health benefits of breakfast, and radio announcers declared, nutrition experts say breakfast is the most important meal of the day. We've all heard it. Yeah. Grape Nuts. That's where it comes from. Thanks, Grape Nuts. hmm Ironically, the 1940s is also when we saw the introduction of sugary coatings on cereals, on Post's cereals specifically. And during this time, uh, Tony the Tiger debuted and Post licensed Mickey Mouse for use on its cereal boxes. Mm. Mm -hmm. Several things happened that changed the cereal world after World War II in the 1950s that led to an increase in consumption. First, there was a push for sugar and sugared products. Second, the advent of television in American households and the commercials that came with that. Yeah, uh, legend has it that in 1949, the then-share of Kellogg's met ad man Leo Burnett on a train by total chance, and their relationship just absolutely changed both television and advertising, and like serial advertising in particular, as we know it. I feel like we've talked about him before. Well... In either case, uh, Kellogg and uh, Tony the Tiger was in some of these very early television commercials Mm -hmm. for cereal. Um, And, yeah, the first of many (laughs) advertised cereal, advertised animated cereal mascots to come. Uh, This decade also gave us corn pops and tricks. Hmm. If you go into the 60s, uh, Quaker debuted products like Cap'n Crunch and a now discontinued product called Quake. Uh, that featured a series of commercials depicting battles between an alien named Quisp and a miner named Quake. Um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, both of these products were essentially sweetened corn and oat dough molded into shapes. However, one of the reasons I want to bring this up is in 1969, the FCC decreed that children's cartoon characters could not give marketing messaging during the show itself. Yeah, yeah, uh, relegating it to commercials only. Um, and there was a lot of scrutiny around around uh, products marketed to children at the time. Um, in, in 1970, an advisor on nutrition to then-President Nixon testified to Congress that rats fed cereals, these sugary breakfast cereals. Those rats were less healthy than other rats that he fed ground-up paperboard cereal boxes if that paperboard was mixed with milk, sugar, and raisins. I have a lot of questions. Um, <laughs> what was President Nixon doing here? Why did he have all these rats? I, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't Nixon. It was his advisor who, oh. <laughs> did, the, who did the testifying and the hypothetical oh, experimentation. I see. Not yeah. Nixon himself. You did say that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I still am Although a little... I, I like where you took it, though. I like that. <laughs> oh, jeez. I was just imagining him in the Oval Office, like, eat this cardboard rats. 
Oh man, I should. That was an opportunity to try a Nixon impression. I really didn't do it, but I uh, I work on that. Cool. I think that's one I can manage. Um, <laughs> also, in the seventies, we see just this whole smorgasbord of fruity monster-based cereals like Frankenberry and Booberry, which was a Halloween product that I really didn't know uh, that was the case. Yeah, I think I think it's seasonal these days. Anyway, it's seasonal. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. Anyway. Interesting. Uh, Count Chocula was also Mm -hmm. in this uh, decade. Also non-monster varieties like Fruity Pebbles and Cocoa Pebbles. Um, And all of this was happening as granola's commercial sales were on the rise. And the Federal Trade Commission was, yes, scrutinizing the marketing tactics of these products when it came to children. Uh, Honey Nut Cheerios debuted in 1979. Ooh, and the 70s, (laughs) we had... These monster and fruit-based cereals. But the 80s was all about these tie-ins and co-branding, like having Mr. T as a spokesperson for Mr. T-shaped cereal. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh And then you had things like Smurf Berry Crunch and the California Raisins for post-Raisin Bran. The California Raisins have always creeped me out. Yeah. I Claymation in general really creeps me out. Mm. Um, And I just don't, I... I don't know. I don't know, man. They move wrong. It's not cool. <laughs> I remember a listener sent us a clip for commercial from that, and I was I was highly disturbed. So <laughs> I'm on I'm on the same train. And as a kid, uh, my brother loved Gumby, but I couldn't watch it. It disturbed me so much. Oh yeah, no, yeah, Gumby too. It always it. I, okay, all right. This is a different show. Yes. <laughs> Yes. But speaking of disturbing, um, in the 1990s, uh, Neil Gaiman wrote a serial convention into his uh, comic book Sandman. And yes, serial was a pun. Mm-hmm. No one was there to talk about serial. They were they were serial killers. That's of course. What was up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in topical pun news, but much later, um, London had a pair of serial killer cafes, um, C-E-R-E-A-L, Killer cafes from 2014 through 2020. Um, these kind of like 90s themed sweet nostalgia joints that um, that collectively sold over a million bowls of cereal before going online this year um, in response to COVID 19. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And nostalgia really did become a focus of the market and the post market um, in the 2000s. Uh, a fellow who we mentioned in our molecular gastronomy episode, uh, Ferran Adrea, made what he called Kellogg's Paella at El Bulli. Um, a This was a, a reduced seafood broth over Rice Krispies. Oh. Um, yeah. Um, there's, the, there's the Momofuku offshoot milk bar that has ice creams made from uh, dairy steeped in cereals. Uh, there are vodkas flavored like Fruit Loops. They really taste like Fruit Loops, if that's what you're into. Um. Uh, I like the, I've had the Momofuku. Uh, I think they have like milk, cereal milk flavored something. I've had it. It was good. I liked it. Oh, well, cool. I yeah. can give that review. <laughs> <laughs> it might, I, I, read, I read in one place ice creams, but then I felt like it was something else somewhere else. Anyway, <laughs> in, in 1998, um, uh, kind of running along that theme, um, Kellogg's opened a museum or like a roadside attraction in Battle Creek called Cereal City USA. Um, and this, uh, this followed the company shutting down tours of its nearby real production facility due to fears of rivals stealing trade secrets. Ooh, mm-hmm, intrigue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Slugworth in there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the attraction was set up to look like a um, 20th century factory and told the story of, of Serial's creation. Visitors could also tour Battle Creek from a little go-kart train, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, meet the mascots, of course, sample some cereals. But, uh, but it closed in 2007 ah! due to low attendance. Yeah. Oh, well, if anyone yeah. happened to go before then, uh, let us know. Yeah, if you've got photographs or memorabilia yes. or just memories, mm-hmm. absolutely let us know. Yes. Puffins uh, was introduced by a small Northern California natural foods bakery in the 1990s. And this molasses sweetened corn cereal, they really rode the wave, the rising wave of organic and a desire for healthier cereal alternatives. And I have to say I've had them and I, I really enjoyed them. Um, oh, huh. I can't speak to those things, but I liked them. Um <laughs> 
the trend of natural and organic foods continued into the 2000s. Uh, the acquisition of Kashi by Kellogg's really exemplifies that. Mm-hmm. As part of this, um, yeah, there, there's been this continued conversation around marketing towards kids and accurate labeling, uh, sugar, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, the, the changes in nutrition labeling laws, um, specifically in the UK and the US, I can speak to, but I, I'm pretty sure it's been happening the world over over the past couple decades, have resulted um, in further scrutiny of, of breakfast cereals. Um, and then in, uh, in 2016, uh, breakfast cereals were labeled a thing what millennials are killing. Ah, another thing. <laughs> Yeah, there is this market survey where these lazy millennials reported that it's inconvenient to eat breakfast cereals because you have to clean up afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, and and I will remind you that that even I mean even in 2016, like millennials were already like 34 years old. So I'm not sure. <laughs> this, <laughs> right. This is a thing that bothers me all the time. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, but but yes, um, over the past couple decades, a lot of new development has indeed been focused on repackaging cereal into bars or whatever for, for on-the-go eating to right. appeal to us Trixie millennials who are killing everything. Yeah. You know, it's a big plot. We're all <laughs> in on it. <laughs> and uh, you're just going to have to innovate to keep up. Yep. That's yep. it. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, not sorry. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Oh, uh, I do. Mm, I'm going to go look up after this a, a picture of all the mascots together. And I think we should just have a food mascot horror comic. I, <laughs> I feel it. I feel pretty yeah. confident in it, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I will... Uh, we were saying before we started recording that like we didn't even go that deep on the on the mascots yeah. and it could be like a whole other like we could just have a whole episode of like these serial mascots and their like backstories as they are mm-hmm. and how weird they are. Oh yeah. I mean I remember it being a large topic of conversation when I was in school that how mean the kids were to the tricks rabbit because they wouldn't share yeah. the tricks. So I bet he sits at home at night and the lights are off and he's just plotting like, oh, one day, one day those kids will pay. Oh, no. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Put that in the back burner. All right. Well, cool, 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 cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'd love to hear ideas from listeners about this. Any thoughts yeah. you have? Uh, and speaking of, we do have some listener mail. We do, but first we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. 
Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with I try to do this 90s commercials. They're so in your face. We've yeah. talked about them before, like the skateboarding and the bright zigzagging colors. Oh yeah, yeah. Lots of vocal fry. Um, yeah. Lots of like kind of kind of like like dovetailing with the whole like extreme sports yeah. kind of thing. They're kind of yelling at you, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of yelling in the nineties. <laughs> if anyone hasn't seen a nineties kids commercial, go look it up. You will be shocked. Uh, <laughs> it's high energy. High energy is a good way to describe it. Uh huh. <laughs> uh huh. Um. Okay, so to preface these letters, I love how many people have been emailing about salt and pepper shakers, <laughs> yes. and also specifically the one that Lauren mentioned. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so Sarah wrote, I will say I was excited immediately when the episode on salt and pepper shaker episode showed up in my podcast feed. My mom is a collector of salt and pepper shakers. For any given family meal where we are sitting at the dining room table, there is at least two sets on the table. For holidays, at least four or more sets to make an appearance. Yeah. That's beautiful. A common gift for my mom is salt and pepper shakers. The salt and pepper shakers are all displayed prominently in the china cabinet. Highlights include the creepy snowy owl salt and pepper shakers that belong to my great-grandmother, I think. The silver ones (laughs) that were one of my mom's friends and family members. Her friend knew she would appreciate them. And my personal favorite, the humping turtles that my sister's then-boyfriend, now-husband, bought for my mom on a trip to Florida. (laughs) I mean, those are pretty fantastic. Uh, Oh. Humping turtles. (laughs) Yeah. Not having seen your mother's full collection, um, I'm going to say that those have to be standouts. Yes. yes. <laughs> Good choices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and Michael wrote, I listened to your podcast on salt and pepper shakers and wanted to share the story of my great granny's salt and pepper shakers. She had something like 45 to 50 sets, and my mother was set to inherit them upon her mother's passing. Needless to say, throughout the years, pairs were taken and or broken by other family members, and my mother only received 12 or so sets. My mother also received a photo album, and behind a middle school picture of my mother was a black and white photo of the salt and pepper collection. (laughs) Over the years, thanks to the picture and eBay, I've been able to replace almost all of the salt and pepper shakers, and now my mom has almost 80 sets. My personal favorites are the donkey figure where the saddlebags are the salt and pepper shaker and the poodle figure where the six puppies that hang off the side are shakers. Ingenuity. It's so impressive. You know, know, it's, that's the thing. It's such a simple thing, but there are endless ways to create it. Yeah. It just feels like this kind of doofy and I say that in the most loving way Mm -hmm. like doofy we like doofy here oh yeah yeah, but like putting this thought and effort and care into this I love it I love it like a condiment shaker it's so good yes oh my gosh that's beautiful yes I love that uh you helped recreate the collection with Mm -hmm. a the help of a a photo she must have taken (laughs) yeah oh gosh I love I love all of the enabling all of the like 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 loving enabling that goes on in these stories about salt and pepper shakers. Me, me too. So please keep <laughs> sending those in our yes. way. You can email us at hello at saverpod.com. And thanks to those listeners for emailing us. Yes. Uh, you can also get in touch via social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard, who waited patiently for the entire second half of the episode to break in when we took our listener mail break, (laughs) talking about how terrible of a dude Kellogg is. Yes, (laughs) it was top notch. (laughs) It was. Uh, Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.